0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Jason, and I'm the pastor of New Hope Church. Um, I'm so grateful to the Lord this morning for the reminder of what happens here on Sunday and what makes us a church. We're a people. We're a community. And for those of you who just, you know, you're still like, uh, you know, drinking your coffee and waking up this morning. I mean, it's the Lord reminded me in the circumstances of how we really are a people like we get together and sing songs, we go. You know, you hear a sermon and all that. But really, what makes us, uh, what what sets us apart, um, that what makes us unique is that we're a community. This. So Jothi, my wife, and Brielle, my oldest daughter, are in India. So I am with Liam and River. They're up. They're well. I guess River is sleeping there <laughs> and Liam is upstairs and so I was I was like I have to have the sermon prepped. I can't work on it at Sunday morning, you know, just cuz they're going to wake up early and well it turns out that seven of our worship leaders are either unavailable or sick and so I thought I was going to have to lead. So I called Shaheen, who normally watches River throughout the week. I said, can you come and watch River so I can, like, practice some songs? So I'm in my room practicing songs, but my guitar doesn't work, doesn't plug in, so I actually reach out to Zach. Zach brought his guitar today. I show up, find out that Rachel and Andrew decided to step in and sing today, and it's like, you know, we could go through these songs, we could, but we'll forget that what happened this morning is a result of a community that loves each other. Right. It's not just because, hey, we you know, we're going to go through the motions. We've got the routine. Who's doing what? It's like, no, th- what, what happened this morning and we're, what's, what we're experiencing is a community that's committed to loving the Lord and loving each other. I'm so grateful for you guys. I'm gr- grateful for the ways that God has formed us to be able to do this. Grateful for Shaheen, who's watching, <laughs> who was watching them this morning. We're going to we're going to go to scripture. We're going to read God's word. We're going to explore what it has to say for us today. But as we always do, we're going to take time to just collect our hearts and we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us. Do you believe that there's something God wants to say to you today? I hope that you would have the audacity to believe that the creator, maker of the universe would have something to say specifically and uniquely to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all the reminders that you give us, Lord, of our need for one another. We were not created to be on an island to be independent of others or independent of you, Lord. You have made us to rely on you and to rely on others. Thank you for all the people that you have brought into this community, their unique voice, their gifts, their talents, their wisdom, their experiences, Lord, their their questions. Thank you for all the ways that you make us better, Lord. And Lord, right now, God, we believe that you have something to say to us, Lord, that you want to speak to us through your word. We believe that you are filled with intention and desire and you want to encourage us and challenge us. You want to draw us close to you and you want to heal relationships here. God, we pray that you would do that. We pray, God, that through your word, somehow you would take this scripture that we have heard read by Rogelio, that you would use that to speak uniquely to us this morning. I'm going to ask you to make that prayer your own. Would you ask God right now from your heart to speak to you, It can be as simple as saying, God, would you please speak to me? Amen. Do you ever wish you could change your instincts? Maybe it's your instinct in the morning. Like, as soon as you wake up, you want to you want to spend time with God, do devotions, you want to read the Bible, or you want to go in, you know, do some kind of mindfulness practice or meditation. But your instinct, as soon as you wake up, is to grab your phone and, like, check your email or your text. Right? That's your instinct. Or maybe it's an instinct in the evening. You tell yourself, oh, finally get an evening. I don't have any plans. I'm going to finally start reading or finish that book that I've been wanting to read or wanting to finish. But your instinct It's to distract yourself until you're too tired and you end up going to sleep. Or maybe you have certain instincts with relationships in your life. You tell yourself you want to form deeper relationships. You want to really cultivate friendships. You want to get in touch with people, find out how they're doing. But your instinct, anytime someone asks you to hang out, is to withdraw. So you've got certain desires, things that you want to do, but then you've got certain instincts that end up worrying against that. It's not easy to change our instincts, our childhood, our experiences, our environment. Our beliefs, our desires, our cravings, our fears, all have shaped our instincts today. The ways that we naturally respond in a given situation. That's what makes today's passage so challenging. We're challenged to have new instincts when it comes to conflict in relationships. We're to be quick to listen. That doesn't come naturally for us. Slow to speak, that's not easy, and slow to be angry. We're in a series called Faith We Can See, and every week we explore a passage in the letter of James to discover how our faith can be more visibly expressed in our lives. How our faith isn't just some private concept, of a private belief that we have that nobody else can sense in our lives. No, how can our faith be something that everyone, us included, can see? We included can see. And today we'll see how our faith is expressed in conflict. In our quickness to listen, our slowness to speak, and our slowness to be angry. Do you find that easy? I don't. My instinct in a conflict is to show that I'm right. It's real talk. To defend myself. My instinct is to react. But today we're told of a better way, a way that glorifies God and can, doesn't always, but can bring healing to our relationships. So here's what we're going to do. To make this more meaningful, I want you to think about an argument or a conflict that you recently had, okay? They're sitting across from you trying not to make eye contact, (laughs) right? Um, A time when you weren't slow to speak, you weren't quick to listen, you weren't slow to anger, and maybe you said something you regret that you wish you could take back, or maybe... You're in it now where you anticipate you're going to have to have a difficult conversation in the future with someone. You know it's just a matter of time, and you're kind of already bracing yourself. Your heart rate increases just as you think about it, right? Can you keep that in mind today? Because as we talk about this, I just want you to apply that to that specific conflict, that specific situation. How can you be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry when that happens? It's only one point today. And we're going to spend time unpacking that. This is how we can do it according to what James says here. We can let God and his word, the gospel, unburden us to listen and love well. I'm going to say that again. We can let God and his word, the gospel, unburden us to listen and love well. I'm going to read 19 through 24. I'm sorry, 25 again. It's not on your bulletin, so I'm going to try To read this again and just make notes of things on the way he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that's the gospel that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created my dear brothers and sisters take note of this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. What he's saying is, even if you're justified in being angry, the way that you react typically does not do what God requires. You might overreach in your anger. You might curse at them. You might put them down. You might be snarky, sarcastic. You might say something that you regret, even if you were initially justified in your anger. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. Referring to the gospel, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it will be blessed in what they do. So what happened when these early Christians that he's writing to, this is about maybe about 15 years after Jesus rose from the dead. What happened to these early Christians when they heard about the gospel, this word of truth? James describes it as new birth. That's how radical the experience should have been. There should have been a transformation in their lives such that they were a new person. They're they're born again. Something happened inside. But the fruit of that is seen, even though they heard it once, the fruit of that is seen as they continue to look intently, consistently, and remember what Jesus has done and what Jesus has taught. We shouldn't be like a person who looks at a mirror and then walks away and immediately forgets what, what they look like. Like, have you ever looked in the mirror before you left? I'm, I'm assuming we all do, right? Uh, like, or most of us. <laughs> like, you look in a mirror, you leave. And then as soon as you catch a reflection of yourself in the elevator, like on like a window or something, you're still like kind of curious, like, am I still put together, right? Am I still a hot mess? Like, is my, am I disheveled? Like, what do I look like? Are my clothes, do they look right? Like, if you catch a reflection, you still look. You forgot what you look like, right? That's, we don't want to be like that. James wants us to look intently, consistently, remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and what he has taught. And then get this, actually do it. Put it into practice. He tells us this because it's so easy to forget. To be a hearer and think, therefore, you have accepted something and not a doer of God's word. James wants us to know that the word we have received should affect every area of our lives. It should be seen in what we do, in the way that we live. If we have humbly received this word, planted in us like a seed, then the fruit that springs up ought to be evident in our lives. And he's going to expand on that in different parts of the letter, and we're going to see that later on. But the first one he mentions here, the fruit of this word, springing forth some fruit in our lives. It should be seen the way that we handle conflict, in our quickness to listen to others, our slowness to speak, and our slowness to be angry. Earlier you heard me say, God in his word ought to unburden us. Well, what do I mean by that? Every single one of us has emotional wounds in our lives because of things that were said to us, or or done to us, or things that we have done in our lives. And these wounds have created a burden that we carry into our relationships. It's like this invisible burden, and whenever you have a conflict with someone, you and that other person carry this invisible burden into that conflict. Like, you can be aware of the wounds in your life. You can know, oh, I remember when so-and-so hurt me, when they said this thing, this wound that I carry. But you could be unaware of the burden that it has created. I'm going to say that again. You can know your wound, but not know the burden you carry. The wound of being neglected by your parents has created a burden to be seen. And you carry it everywhere you go. The wound of being rejected by someone in your life that should have received you has created a burden to be worthy, to belong, to be accepted. The wound of being dismissed. Have you ever had someone just dismiss you as if you're not important, your opinions aren't important, your thoughts and your feelings aren't important? The wound of being dismissed has created this lifelong burden in you to just be respected by people. Stop being dismissed. It's not always in our childhood. It could be in the p- with the people that you recently met, that you work with, a neighbor, a co-worker, whoever it is. Right? It's not always from our childhood, but we carry these invisible burdens. We carry it right into our conflict with others. And we're never going to listen and love well unless we are relieved of this burden unless God in his word unburdens us to love and listen well. That's the fruit of the gospel in us as we look intently and remember it and do it. Let me give you an example of when I struggled to listen. I could only think of one, guys. I mean, it's not, not many. Um, excuse me. I was invited to preach at a wedding and to do the solemnization of the vows. And I thought it went well. I mean, The couple seemed... Happy, I guess. And immediately after the ceremony, someone walked up to me, another pastor, someone with whom I had conflict in the past, very contentious disagreements and awkward conversations in the past. This pastor walked up to me and said, I want to give you some advice. And I thought, hmm, this is going to go well, <laughs> right? Normally conversations that start like that go well. He um, said, I think you should reword and rearrange this one particular thing you said and how you did the vows. And I said, Hmm. no, I think I'm, I'm good with that. I think I'm good with the way I did that. And then he doubled down. He said, well, traditionally, this is how it's done. I said, actually, I think there's more than one way to do it. You know, I sent it to the couple. They were fine with it. He said, yeah, but this is the most logical way to do that. This is kind of essentially what he said. This is the most logical way to do it. And I said something to the effect, I mean, it just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to just brace myself. My walls are going up. Like, I'm just, I'm on the defense, right? And I said something to the effect of, well, you can do it how you want to do it whenever you are asked to do the wedding. <laughs> Not my proudest moment. And you know what? Shortly after, I realized he was right. He was right. His way was better, or it made sense, but I couldn't hear it. You know why? Because in that particular conflict, in that specific relationship, because of our past, I would carry in this invisible burden to be right, to be the expert, to be seen as competent, and maybe even better than him. I could not hear what he had to say because this burden would not let me. So you see, the first thing we have to do is determine the kind of conflict that we are having. So think again about that conflict that you have. Is it a situational conflict, or is it actually a deep-rooted conflict with a burden? I'm adapting these terms from a renowned psychologist, Dr. John Gottman. A situational conflict is a conflict that's unique to a specific situation. It stems from the circumstance. Conflicts like this are resolved. If you just make a change in the circumstance, you wouldn't have the conflict in the first place, or it could just be resolved in the future. Here's an example. Suppose it's 10 o'clock at night, and I just get home from work, and my wife Jothi has had a long day as well, and she's about to go to bed. I just walk in. The first thing she says to me is, hey, Jason, before you go to bed, can you just make sure you do the dishes? All right, I'm going to go to bed. I might be annoyed, and she could probably tell, Just hypothetical, guys. I mean it, all right? I might be annoyed, as you can tell, but I realize, okay, this is happening because I forgot to load the dishwasher, and you know what? This wouldn't be happening unless, like, I had remembered, and so what I'm going to do to resolve this and make sure it doesn't happen in the future is just turn the dials a little bit, change the circumstances. I'm just going to give myself a reminder to load the dishwasher. Conflict resolved, right? That's a situational conflict. Some of your conflicts are like that. Like if just one or two things are different in the past, or if you do one or two different things differently in the future, that conflict is not going to happen. But Then, there are deep-rooted conflicts. This is a conflict that goes beyond that circumstance and situation, and it's usually rooted in issues of identity, of character, of self-worth, fears, and hopes. Same example. 10 o'clock, I just get home, I walk in, and Jyothi's like, hey, I've had a really long day, and I'm about to go to bed. Can you load the dishwasher before I go to bed? And I'm about to go to sleep. And I'm annoyed, and she can tell I'm annoyed. And this time, I quietly grumble and say, she has no idea how hard I work. She doesn't respect what I do. And she's annoyed, because she's thinking, you think just because I've been home with the kids that it should be my responsibility to do it? You don't know how hard it is to be with the kids, Right? And so that conflict or that ensuing argument is not about the dishes. The dishes are an occasion, right? It just happens to be the circumstance that ends up drawing out the, the real point of contention, right? And in, typically in a deep-rooted conflict, you'll have different things that happen. One day it's a dishes, the next day it's something else or whatever else. But it ultimately ends up going into the same place. You don't respect me, you don't appreciate me, or you don't, you don't see me in all the things that I do. It's not about the dishes. it's It's about the burden, this invisible burden that we carry. So think again about that situation, that conflict, that relationship, that person with whom you have a conflict. What kind of conflict is it? Like I do premarital counseling with couples, and oftentimes their first disagreement is on the kind of conflict they're having. <laughs> One person is like, what's the big deal? I'll just do things differently next time. It's a situational conflict. And the other person is like, no, this is deep-rooted. Like you always do this, and therefore it means something about my identity, my character, my self-worth. That's the first conflict. They don't even know what, what kind of conflict it is. What kind of conflict are you having? Do you feel like you must defend your character, your value, your worth, your identity? If so, it's probably deep-rooted. So what's that invisible burden that you're carrying? Nobody knows about it. Maybe you're not even aware of it until right now. There's several ways to to think about this, and I'll I'll just give you a few. One, you can ask, what's really at stake in this conflict? What's really at stake? Is it the thing you're arguing about? Or is it something much deeper? What do you what do you really feel the need to defend? Or, how would you complete these two sentences? Ready? You're looking at that person. How would you complete the sentence? You think I'm what? How would you finish that? You think I'm lazy, right? Or you don't think I try? You think I'm a bad person, don't you? You think I'm dumb. You don't respect what I do. You don't see how hard I work. This is what you feel needs to be defended in that conflict, and it affects your ability to actually listen. Or how would you complete this sentence? I wish you would just see what? How would you finish that? I wish you could see how much I care. I wish you could see how hard I try. I wish you could see that my intentions are good even if I didn't do what it is that you might want me to do or whatever you're upset about. My intentions are good. I wish you could see how much I love you. Or I wish you could see that I'm hurting. This is the burden that you wish they would just hold for you, and you can't hear it unless someone else takes that burden off so you can actually listen. Because you know what it's like to try to listen with, while carrying this burden? It's like if you, one of your friends are like, hey, I'm just moving into this five-floor walk-up, and because we're great friends, can you help me move? Right? And I've got all this luggage and things to carry, in there, and you show up at their door, you're carrying all this furniture and luggage, and in the midst of that, they want to tell you a story. You know, okay, can you just, I, I, I really want to listen to what you're saying right now, but I can't because all of my energy, my focus, and my effort is in carrying this thing, and it's draining me. It's hindering my ability to listen what it's like when you carry this invisible emotional burden and someone's trying to talk to you. You are putting way too much effort, energy, and focus into trying to hold this burden and you're not going to listen unless someone relieves you of that. God and His Word must unburden us so that we can listen. Sometimes our strategies don't go far enough. So think about yours right now. Your strategy in conflict. What do you typically do to make sure you handle it well? You can say, hey, you know what? I just, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let you talk. I'm going to remain quiet. Maybe that's your your tactic. That's how you handle it well. Or you say, serenity now. Anybody? Seinfeld? (laughs) Sorry, that's a Seinfeld reference. You ask for space because you know it's not going to be productive. You walk away. You go into another room because you know that you can't stand there and sit there and listen to it. You're just not in a frame of mind. You know you're going to say something you regret. Well, you might pray and ask God, give me the right words to say in this conflict. You talk to a friend. Maybe you journal to process your thoughts. All of those things are wonderful. Like They can help you become slow to speak and, and, and slow to react and be angry. But here's what it doesn't do. While it can make you slow to speak and formulate your words and what you want to say so that you're measured and you don't overreact, it could help you gather your words in taking space, but it doesn't make you more open to theirs. For those who just pull back, just because you're quiet doesn't mean you're listening. If you're like me, you're you're just building your case in your head. (laughs) You think I'm quiet and I'm listening, but I'm just actually... Constantly think about why you're wrong and why I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Or you can ask for space and time, and that's going to do wonders for helping you find your words. But you might also end up taking that time to agonize over what they're going to say next. You see, friends, if we're going to be quick to listen, something else must happen in our hearts. Something must shift. Because you know what being quick to listen means? When that's your instinct, that means. You are quick to center that person. It means you've paused your need to be heard so you can listen to them and love them well. It means centering, instead of centering yourself, instead of that being your instinct, your instinct is to center them. And you're curious even before you say a word. Huh, what do you have to say? What new thing do I have to learn here? Even if I feel that I'm right. So again, just think about that conflict. Imagine if your instinct in that conflict was to say, my instinct is, I want to center you right now. I'm curious about what you have to say. I might have something new to learn right now, even if I think I'm right. That doesn't come naturally to us. All our strategies, whatever your strategy is right now for handling conflict and doing this, it doesn't go far enough unless it unburdens us to center the other person. That's what he's getting at. He's not just telling you to take some time. Yes, he says don't sin in your anger. Don't do something wrong or unjust or, or, or that you're going to regret in your anger. That is what he, what, he, what he says there, right? But what it means to be quick to listen is that your instinct is to actually think about someone else before you think about what you want to say. We won't do it. All of our strategies don't go far enough unless it burdens us to actually do that. So what will do it? It is the gospel, the word of truth, planted in us like a seed. And right now you might think like, huh, how is the gospel the the thing that uh, the, the, the news that actually helps me do that? I mean, that kind of proves this point. We tend to forget. We don't look intently. We don't do it consistently. We don't remember the implications of the gospel, right? We're like a people who look in a mirror and immediately forget. But the gospel is that God's kingdom has arrived. In Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, crucified for our sins, and is the risen king today of the universe. And we're a people who believe that, that Jesus is alive today and reigns over all. And it has implications for everything. The physical world, he bore our sins, endured evil, conquered death. He came through to the other side of all of that, which means that sin and evil and death will not have the final word. It didn't for him. It doesn't for those who hope in him. His resurrection is a sign that God's plan to renew all of creation has already started. It has implications for our relationship with God. Because Jesus died for our sins, there is no longer any barrier between you and God. For those who hope in him. He doesn't hold our sins and our, and our shame against us. He doesn't hold our mistakes or our failures against us. There is no condemnation. Let me say that again. There is no condemnation for those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. That means today, this day, you can have a personal relationship with God. Not just a relationship with your maker, but with God as your father. And you as his beloved child. Whom he knows and he deeply loves and calls by name. It has implications in our relationship with each other. All those who believe in Jesus are united into one family. Regardless of ethnicity and status and class and experience, we are eager to love one another as God has loved us. And he loved us when we were his enemies. How could we not love our enemies or those that we are in conflict with or our brothers and sisters? You see, when a Christian is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry, it's because one of the implications of the gospel has just become real to them. It's not a theory. Now it's become real to them. Their heart has come alive, and it's unburdened them to actually listen. Unburden them like this. So in your conflict, if you carry the burden to just be loved, the gospel... Unburdens you to say, I know that I cannot be loved any more than I am right now by you, God. Yes, I need this person to love me. But right now, I can listen because nobody will ever love me more than you love me right now. And I know that because of what you've done for me in Jesus. For those who just carry the burden to be trusted. I, I need this person to trust me. I wish they would trust me. But Lord, I rest right now in the fact that you see my heart. You know me. You know my intentions. You know what's going on. And as much as I want them to trust me, I know that you see me because you saw me at my worst, God, and decided to save me in Jesus. While I need them to trust me, and I want them to trust me, I can suspend that burden. You could take that burden from me so that I can actually listen right now. For the burden to be seen, I may be hidden to the world, but I'm seen by you, and that is enough for me to listen and love well. For the burden to be worthy, Lord, nothing I ever do or prove in this conflict, in this conversation, will ever make me as worthy as what you have done for me in Jesus. That is the gospel, unburdening our hearts in a conflict to be able to listen and love well. So if your instinct is going to be to center somebody else, to be curious about what they have to say, to learn from them, you must become an unburdened listener. Someone whose heart is liberated by the gospel. So think again of that conflict. Here's my question. What do you need to hear God say to you this morning to unburden you? What do you need to hear him say to unburden you to listen and love well when you see that person again? I want to be careful. God has made us for relationships to need encouragement from one another. And I could talk about this as if you don't need them to acknowledge the burden that you're carrying. That's not true at all. Like, yeah, maybe that's true with an an acquaintance or something like that. But if it's someone that you really know and you want to have a relationship with this person and you're close to, like you both have to be able to unburden each other. Mo- one of the greatest misconceptions in conflict resolution between two people is they, thi- they think they've resolved the conflict if they just try to have some kind of intellectual understanding of each other, right? Oh, I see where you're coming from or I see why you did what. They think that a conflict is resolved if they could just understand each other. That's not true. A conflict is not fully resolved unless both people in that relationship are emotionally unburdened by the other. So you might need to ask, what do I need to hear this person say to unburden me? Or what does this person need to hear me say to unburden them? That's the only way you can have a healthy relationship. So do we need others to unburden us? Yes, of course we do. But I guess what I'm trying to say in all of this is that it shouldn't be a condition for you to listen in the first place. God and His Word of Truth, the Gospel, has given you what you need for that. He has loved you with an incomprehensible love, and His love has transformed us so that our greatest love and desire in a conflict is not to be right, it's not to be smarter or wiser or more righteous than others. It's not to win as the world defines it. Our greatest love and desire is to glorify him and to honor him in the way that we love the person directly in front of us. Our greatest love is to be like him, like the one who first loved us, who is slow to anger and eager to show us his love and compassion, who is quick and eager to love us. It may not be our instinct, But if we're willing, God in his word can unburden us to listen and love well.